Hello, Stitchers. Welcome to Stitch Please, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. I'm your host, Lisa Woolfork. I'm a fourth-generation sewing enthusiast with more than 20 years of sewing experience. I am looking forward to today's conversation, so sit back, relax, and get ready to get your stitch together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stitch Please podcast. I am your host, Lisa Woolfork, and I am honored and delighted and so excited to wrap up this Juneteenth series with Shaw. Jacqueline, it's hard to summarize all that Jacqueline does and has done. Training in sustainability. She concentrates in African fashion. She takes seriously the global concerns about exploitation and celebrates with such love the beauty, the richness, the depth of what the continent has to offer the fashion world. So Jacqueline, I am so glad that you are here. Welcome to the Stitch Please podcast. Thank you, Lisa. I am too excited and it is an honor to be here so thank you for inviting me and thank you so much for navigating the time change to speak with me from london this is very generous <laughs> and i never forget this is an absolute time difference and you have to be up five hours at a different time than i am so thank you very much how did you get started do you have a sewing story did you start with sewing and design mm. when did you get the message that i love to create and this is something I would like to do. Wowza. I can probably go from early memories. I never remember how old I was, but I do remember maybe I was around seven, something like that. And I received um, as a gift from my mother the fashion wheel. So this was a toy that you spun the wheel and then it would help you to draw um, designs together and put, put your own designs together and I remember having that toy and also just sewing clothes for my teddy bears I and mean, people would laugh when I talk about it I didn't have dolls I had teddy bears <laughs> I was a teddy lover so I would just sew things by hand as a child and always creating things I talk about how I created like ping pong games with a a ping pong game with an old cereal box, like um, cornflakes or something that I used, my elastic band and marbles, and I made like a ping pong game. That tells me how I did these crazy things. So I was always creative. I always knew that I loved to the idea of building something from nothing. And from there, with the fashion wheel and just a love of textiles, I always like bright coloured textiles prints and all kinds of things like that. As a child, I moved to a new area, went to a new school, and I met my first time, mostly being around Caribbeans, which is where my, my family are from, in the area I was first in. Then I moved to another area, and there was like a big Asian community. When I say Asian, I mean like Pakistani, Indian, Bangladeshi, that community. And yes. then I'd also have my Nigerian and Ghanaian friends. And I started to become friends with these different groups of people. And go to some weddings go to some events and I love culture and I would learn and I just got introduced to more and more textiles and then fell in love with African textiles even more and that was part of my journey but within all of this thinking about what I wanted to do when I left school I decided though my maths teacher was horrified <laughs> I remember that when I was like 15 to 16 deciding which college to go to we say colleges in like second and um, just after um I don't know what you guys call it in the US, but from the age of 16 to 18, 
you go to yes. um, a two-year college, A-level college, we call it. And I decided to pursue the arts as well as English and maths. And then when I went to university at 18, I decided to do a fashion degree and make it more official. So it's been an interesting journey. I've always known I've been creative, though I've always been, also always been a bit of a bookworm and yes. loved maths and loved things that were happened. Like in science, I always loved the physics side of things because I can put numbers together. So I guess in fashion, it was really the, the pattern cutting and so forth, putting numbers together, putting things together and making something else. There's just something just innate in me. But yeah, here I am today now in that field quite heavily. Built a career out of it, nearly 20 years working as a fashion designer as well. And the story goes on. <laughs> the story goes on. And thank you very much for drawing that for us, Jacqueline. Mm. I want to go back a little bit to the fashion wheel. Yes. Because okay. it's, it, I'm, I'm imagining, I didn't have a fashion wheel. I had fashion plates. This, this was more like a, a rectangular thing. But the fashion wheel, it sounds like this unlocked something in your imagination that in and mm. and in, in so doing it helped to I don't know it feels to me like you had the fashion wheel so you had a toy that your mother had given you and this allowed you to play and practice and unlock a portion of your imagination and then the idea that you would set up scenarios and perhaps clothing for your teddy bears but you would look at a box of cereal and say you know what that's a cereal box and it is also a ping pong game <laughs> right. for my bears. And that is richly creative. And one of the reasons that I wanted to talk with you today on the topic of creative liberation, this is something that we've been talking through or around either directly or mm -hmm. indirectly. And so could you answer the question, what does creative liberation mean for you? Do you see it from your earliest days of childhood to now? You could offer a definition for what creative liberation has meant for you? I would say it's a level of autonomy. And I say that. No one's really asked me that kind of question before, if I'm honest. But when I think of it, looking back on my career and looking at where I didn't feel liberated in my creativity was actually probably nearer the end of my design careers and working for other brands and retailers. And when you get into a system within the fashion industry of doing things on Adobe Illustrator or Photoshop and it becomes very digital and you're losing the creative nuances that come with the textile industry. And I found that I was losing autonomy over my creativity, being fit into a box. And I feel that creative liberation is having autonomy to release that thought in your head or to see it manifest into a real thing. That's how I see it. And I always, I am a, I'm a Christian and I do believe very strongly in, in God as in the Father God. And the fact that I always, when I look at the Bible, I look at the fact that God was a creator. And, you know, mm. the, the Bible talks about that he made us in his image. And I always say, God, I don't know if I'm very, even very good at this fashion thing. I just know I like it. And if I'm made in your image, then I can create something. I can do anything is possible. I don't see limits. It's about being limitless and having autonomy over the creative ideas in your mind to bring oh. them into realization. Oh, that is wonderful. I think I love that because mm -hmm. it, in terms of the, because of the autonomy and what I'm, what I'm hearing you say, talking about your work in the fashion industry is that there seem to be 
two things that one could identify as being challenging about being in that in in the industry. One is some of the tech that you just described. That mm-hmm. of course it's important to know Corel and Adobe Illustrator and all of the digital programs that you need to do to to create and to reproduce. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I think you are right that you lose the texture. You lose the sense of the text, the the the, the tactility, you know, exactly. of the textile. And so I really felt that when you you said, "Yeah, I know the tech, I know the tech, I can do that," but I felt like I was losing the thing, the attachment to the textile, the fibers, the fabric. That was something that you felt slipping away a little bit through this particular technique. And then the other thing that I thought that was important that you reminded us of is that institutions are institutions. They create systems. They have certain outcomes that they want to produce. They don't necessarily care about all of your ideas. They just want (laughs) some of your ideas, maybe very few of your ideas. And instead they want you to execute their ideas. So Mm -hmm. do you, is that an accurate summary of what you just said? Because that's what really just reached out to me. I was just like, wow. Yeah. First of all, caveat. I love my career. I, most aspects of my career, I love it. And I don't work as a designer anymore. There's some amazing perks and pros, samples, and travel, and all these things you get to do, parties and things like that you get to go to. And so there's a great aspect of it. But I think once you realise how the industry really works, it's like, no, this is actually what is expected. So you come in as a newbie, out of uni, and many of them like that, but you're going to come in fresh, un- untouched, Virginian in many ways, excuse the pun, but you come mm-hmm. in, you know, untouched in your creativity and you're going to bring them something fresh and new, but then they can mould you. As you get older, you start to realise this is how things work and you understand how, what sells, what doesn't sell, what companies really want. You just bring them that. They know you can bring that, but they also know that you're worth much more than just the design. Oh gosh, do they want to pay you for it? That, that, that's the other aspect that we could go into, but that's a whole nother that's a whole nother section of things. <laughs> this will be a, we could get to that, or we could <laughs> or we could have we could have another conversation on another day. But I do I I hear what you're saying, and I appreciate it so much mm. because it's I think it's important for us to identify these things, for us to be able to speak and say hey, there are wonderful aspects of this career. There's wonderful aspects of many and all careers. Mm -hmm. And then there's some things that need to be changed and improved and things that need to be identified as problematic. And I think recognizing our individual value, our individual importance, your individual value and importance to a design house, to a company, I think that is also something to announce and to say, hey, you might think that, I'm only able to do this one or two things that you're asking, but mm-hmm. I have so much more. But you know what? I This is what I mean. When you start to understand it, you can decide to just accept it or you can try to shape things the way that could work in your favor. So when I started to feel that particular way, I was working for one of the major sports brands, loved my time there. It was like a family. We The, the, the company closed the London office at one point, so we all left together, which was actually nice. But I remember during my during my time there, I was there for some years and I decided that I wanted to do more studies and I wanted to look into sustainability. I knew the company was going that way as well. So I knew it lined up with their focus on 
being a sustainable lifestyle sports brand. And I reached out to them to say, could you sponsor my degree? Well, you know, thank God, by grace of God, they, they, they eventually did say yes. <laughs> and wow, um, they sponsored my, my, my two-year master's on yes. ethical fashion. Yes. So I managed to become somebody of importance, relevance, or a niche within the company because I was then bringing back things to the company. I was doing feasibility tests within the company. I was working on some of their one of their programs, which was similar to, you may have heard of Cradle to Cradle, which is basically like a circular fashion kind of project. So nothing goes back into the ground. Oh, it can wonderful. all be replenished. If it does go back in the ground, it'll be reused from the soil back to grow new, new, new textiles or cotton or whatever it may be. Wow. So I would manage to take part in, in many of the new projects that we're doing at that time. So I carved something out for myself because, oh, yes, I thought my ceiling had been reached in the company. There was nowhere else really to move. I could just enjoy and just do my job, get paid and go home. But I wanted more. And I always believe that we've got more to give, that we have purpose, that our life is, for me, and everybody may feel the same way, but for me, I feel that we have a purpose in this life. And I felt that there was more that I could offer to the world and do for myself. And so this unknown to myself kicked off a whole new career whole business of which i'm in right now and yeah it's, it's yeah we'll get into all of that but i think sometimes you can look at your situation you can carve out something for yourself and um, so you can stand out in those unique situations and you have absolutely done that and again the more you talk the more i hear creative liberation i hear yeah. You saying, I felt like I had hit the the ceiling of what I could do at this company. And I know that there's more. It's just might not be here. It might not be the way that I'm doing things now. And then you ended up talking with them and connecting with them and then going on to get a master's degree in ethical fashion. Exactly. And so tell us a bit more about what uh, what is a graduate degree or an advanced degree in ethical fashion look like what does that prepare you what does that prepare someone to do okay well, I made it <laughs> it was probably not what my lecturer or supervisor was expecting but it was literally a a master's a, a, a two-year study to go into every element really of the supply chain so looking at sustainable supply um, chains value chains we focused a lot on the cotton industry, which is what I became a bit of a geek within, in that kind of area. And we looked at things like secondhand clothing, which was another big thing for me, especially looking at the Africa context. So I focused on Africa for that. But within the studies, these are just areas that we looked at. New textile technology, so things like mushroom, leather, pineapple, penotex, and all these kind of new textiles, which is just evolving even more these days. Circular fashion wasn't such a big name then, but it was, like I said, the cradle to cradle process that was out at the time as it it was called so looking at things like that and what's happening within the industry labor issues as well fair trade all of these areas we'd look at all of these things and at the time that was the only kind of sustainable ethical fashion degree or masters that they had in here in the UK even probably in Europe and then I did mine at one university then the London College of Fashion also created one and they were the only two institutes my one which was the uca or university college of arts and then the london college of fashion did they were the only two institutes now they have incorporated it as they probably should 
most universities incorporated the those studies with into their general fashion because it's not a separate thing. Yes. Sustainable fashion should be just fashion. <laughs> full Absolutely. Stop. Because yeah. if we want things to continue, mm-hmm. they have to be sustainable. You would imagine that everyone is interested in the sustainability of their field. You want it to mm-hmm. grow if you want this to if you want to have more textiles, more fabric, more fibers, more beautiful things to work with, you can't just deplete, deplete and destroy in the process because where else, where's the new stuff going to come from? It's true. It's true. So I, I wanted to turn a little bit to, before I do that, you said making textiles out of mushrooms and pineapples. And I think you <laughs> called it. Pinatex like, is the company that. Pineapple leather. Can I just tell you how excited I am as someone who loves food and and also really likes pineapple? Pineapple could be a leather. You can wear this and then afterward, maybe you could eat it. I I am like, what? Oh, gosh. Real talk. um, There's a lot of waste from food. I could go into it. I I could geek out on this stuff. I was going to conferences on sustainability, on textile technology, on general fashion, on all different things like that, because I wanted to learn so much. I became that girl who's always talking about Africa yes. at these events. Yes. You know, so they would know me for that. Learn about things like orange peel and seaweed, textiles, obviously bamboo, which I'm probably more familiar with, yes. the kind of viscose, cellulosic fabrics, and all these kind of things. And now there's even more. It is just yeah but because there's so much waste from food and I Mm. think that it's a great thing there's a company in Kenya that I really support and they use I think they're called the green nettles company but they use the nettles they use nettles and produce a a textile from that nettles from nettles nettles? those little barbous bulby things that prick you yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they make fabric from those nuisances that is incredible. Exactly. <laughs> they needed that. Those cactus, I think that's done in, is it Mexico? Is yes, there... or New Mexico, I'm not sure. Yeah, somewhere but over a lot on your side of the world. Yeah, but mm. on the, our side of the world, in the Southwest, there are lots of cacti. So New Mexico, Arizona, Mexico, there's a lot of cacti over there. I find it very encouraging. And what I'm noticing mm. is you were at the beginning of this in some ways. So when you went yeah. to get your degree to get the master's in ethical fashion, mm-hmm. Well, they don't have that anymore. That, that degree doesn't exist anymore. Because it's expanded. And people it's have realized yeah. that rather than saying, let's just make this a small separate thing, you say, let's make this something that shapes how we do what we do. And yes. so I thought that the, the degree program, like you were saying, that the London College of Art, like they decided to do one as well. And now everything is just incorporated into the how most people study fashion anywhere in the world. There is a component exactly of the sustainability so you're ahead of the curve in that yeah it took me a while to really accept a lot of the terms that people started to call me when they're saying you know that you know, I'm a pioneer in what I'm doing especially in Africa and talking about the ethical fashion Africa story and expert in, in this industry it, it, it was challenging to really accept these things because for me it's just I'm just doing the thing I love in what I like yes. job said just doing what I love and yes. and I I'm I love research. I went on to do another master's and did a research master's because I love research and finding out, asking questions. I was that kid at school. I'm that annoying kid that's at school and they always putting their hand up to ask questions. 
That was me. <laughs> hey, I, 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 I admire all Hermione Grangers. You know, <laughs> that it, I was a Hermione Granger, and if you were a Hermione Ooh. Granger, we these us we're smart black girls who raise our hands. Mm-hmm. Who and I, I call Hermione Granger because I'm a big Harry Potter fan, and that's what <laughs> popped into my head. I know well, hashtag, losses and all. <laughs> yeah, hashtag problematic faves. I understand that, but yeah, you're smart. You're inquisitive, you're curious, and you were able to follow all of those things into a career. And I Mm -hmm. think that's something that's really model worthy and something about which you should be proud. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, everybody. And when we come back, we're going to talk about wax and wraps in the subscription box and her sourcing trips and the companies that she's attached with on the continent. So stay tuned and be sure to come back right after the break. Women Stitch and the Stitch Please podcast are happy to announce that we have another way to connect with our community. In addition to the IG lives that we do every Thursday at 3 p.m., we also now have a club on Clubhouse. That's right, friends. They done messed up and given me the chance to have a club. Follow Black Women Stitch on Instagram and now on Clubhouse Thursdays at 3 p.m. on Instagram and 3.45 p.m. on Clubhouse Eastern Standard Time. And we'll help you get your stitch together. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to the Stitch Please podcast, and I am happy and delighted to be speaking with Jacqueline Shaw of Wax and Wraps, of the African Fashion Guide, of so many other things. But we are talking with her today about creative liberation. And if you were here for the first part of the episode, you learned that Jacqueline began her career as a child through creativity, through turning a toy the fashion wheel, which now I want to go look for, a fashion wheel into a spark for her imagination. And now we have this person who is contributing and leading the way in so many different aspects of how we imagine African fashion. So I wanted to ask you about your, tw- your 2011 book, The African Fashion Guide. Can you talk a bit about that work and why you thought that was necessary, why you thought it was time to produce a book like that? Yeah, yeah. So 2011, I finished my master's in ethical fashion and I wanted to create something. (laughs) I needed to create something. I did my dissertation as you do as part of the degree and I said, I'm going to create a blog. I'm going to organize a conference and I'm going to create a book. Because I had worked previously as a student prior to that, I'd worked part-time at a library, a local library. And so I'd seen in those sections based on Africa, the kind of books they had. And all the books were your typical Maasai, very tribal, very loincloth kind of imagery about Africa and these different cultures, cultural groups, etc. And I thought, that could be called a book on like contemporary African fashion. So I didn't see it, went out and made it. That's my mindset. If you don't see it, go out and make it. So I put together um, a book. I, because I was really blogging. I contacted loads of different designers across the African continent, even some in the diaspora, those who were doing fashion in Africa. And I literally created the book. And using InDesign, I put the 
pages together, everything with interviews. I commissioned some illustrators for the first version of the book. And I put that out there at the time that I launched the conference at the end of my degree in September 2011. So that book was called Fashion Africa. And the company is called Africa Fashion Guide. Now, the book was spotted at a black book event a few years later by a publicist called Jacaranda Books. And they wanted, they were actually a newly, newly launched publishing company who had worked, and the lady in charge had worked for other publishing companies. And she felt <laughs> similar time that there wasn't enough publishing companies that represented people of colour. So I was literally her, my book was literally her first publication that they put out there. And they redid the book. Pioneer again. I know, right? I just want pioneer again. So she um, put the book out there and, but we redid it. So it was like a volume two of the book and then we hope to work together on another, another, see something within the same series of the Fashion Africa series. So it should be coming out next year. But yeah, the book was pioneering. It was needed because there wasn't any contemporary African fashion textiles crafts or anything at the, at the time and now my book has been featured all over the world it's been seen and spotted in different places i get texts and messages i've brought it to places i've just seen it in places and so it, it literally has pioneered and so now there's more books out there now which i feel is really exciting to see that more and more people have been able to feel you know the opening to do this so i'm really excited about that Really, really excited. And yeah, Fashion Africa 2011 was in when I launched that book. It's really amazing. And I really appreciate the way that you are drawing attention to the variety of fashion movements throughout the continent. Mm -hmm. I recall looking at a section based on a woman who was who was elevating, not elevating, I, I hate to use the word mm -hmm. elevating because it implies that something is low mm -hmm. and then needs to be brought up. But what, I think what her work was doing is preserving mm. traditional Hosa fashion and textiles and uniting them with modern design structures. That's, that was, that's something I remember from the book. I was like, oh my gosh, that is so amazing. And that you had countries from all over yeah. with people re being represented. And I thought that was really amazing. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. Um, it's, really, it's really a great and rich thing, a really great and rich offering that you're doing. Advocacy as well yeah. by having, having people be seen and recognized and appreciated and valued for their work. And I'm very, I'm, I'm a strong believer in giving people their flowers while they're here. Thank you. Giving people their flowers while they are here. Why they can appreciate why they can appreciate them and smell them and put them on their tables. But on that um, point, though, of advocacy, because I at the time just after I launched, um, by well, organically, it wasn't even by choice, but I launched Africa Fashion Guide as, as a company because I'd been focusing a lot on the cotton industry. I brought um, some T-shirts to the catwalk, and it might sound like simple T-shirts, like, but they wow. were slogan T-shirts. So I like this designer called Catherine Hamner. I like the kind of way that she used T-shirts as a way to spread a message she's very much a, like an ethical fashion eco warrior kind of thing mm. and she used that mm -hmm. as a way to speak out about things that she you know really stood up for or stood against and i thought i could do the same using t-shirts that were african cotton fair trade organic made in africa made by african source in africa grown in africa all of that and brought that to the catwalk in i think we did it as part of london fashion week um within ghana fashion week and also in 
Africa Fashion Week in Los Angeles. And that was really to bring light on the idea of the African cotton farmers who were not receiving the same subsidies as those maybe in the US or in Europe or parts of Asia where they would get the same level of sub- they would get you know subsidies subsidized on their cottons and they could actually sell at at, at, at more uh, sell at more costs and make more money and I thought it was unfair because the African cotton was mm-hmm. handpicked it was organic or a lot of it and it was done in a way that they deserved it and I wanted to raise a point about that and I used this as a way to do that and I remember the London Fashion Week event was literally like packed in collaboration with another company and it was a packed out event like there were people sitting on the floors to be part of this um, event. And what were some of the messages that you had on the shirts that would that to bring away to bring awareness to the ways in which African cotton farmers were being exploited and treated inequitably in the global marketplace? Yeah, so we just use words as in hundred percent made in Africa. So things that people would be like, What really? Hundred percent no way. But they were. We use things like saying from crop to cloth, from field to fashion, fair trade. We just used all these terms that just let people know what they were made of. I made them inquire more so we got the articles featured elsewhere so that it could actually raise people's curiosities. That's what I wanted to do because nobody was talking about African fashion in the catwalks either. So there's another aspect of, like I said, enlightening and opening up people's minds to possibilities or new types of fashion or new regions new- of fashion. Absolutely. And, and at the same time, talking about and bringing our awareness to the ways in which the same policies or political forces of globalization that are leading to supply chain issues that are harming people, Mm -hmm. that farmers are being harmed, Mm -hmm. that people are not, they're not gaining wealth. They're not sustaining their own wealth. They're, that they're, you know what I'm saying? That there's ways in which fashion can be harmful and has been harmful. And what you do, what you're doing is saying, Hey, Rather than just saying, I'm going to grab a strip of this ceremonial cloth and put it on a jacket for a European fashion company and call it African fashion, you're saying that not only is that not okay, it's also not okay what is happening here. And we need to look at the economics of the folks who are making it possible for this fashion to exist at all. And I recall this, I think you had an article called Cotton is the Ink back on the blog and I believe that it was about the importance of cotton if we imagine you need ink to write a book to write a paper to to paint to draw Mm. and without ink what how are you going to create and without cotton it's a foundation of of fashion the history it it, when you when you write something that's it for life that's heritage that's history and that that actual article was in relation to an interview I did with a Malian designer and she just celebrates the textiles, our Maita. She celebrates, as an English designer, she celebrates the textiles of, of her own country. Mali's one of those countries that produces a lot of cotton as well. And it has an indigo mm-hmm. story. But uh-huh. you know, Mali is somewhere that people will hear about the negative stories, about political unrest. But we don't always hear about the fact of when the first universities, you know, being, you know, some of the richest people it's in the past we don't really hear about these things because we're so busy hearing about the poverty side of things and there's a cultural story that even she wanted to go and, and share and tell that through using textiles 
and the cotton story. Cotton is a deep industry. As an African American, of course, you, you know even more. The yes, in, absolutely. You know, your continent, and then me traveling to cotton fields in Africa, traveling to to meet with these makers, with these farmers, with these creators and manufacturing units it just brings it just this needs to be this needs to be celebrated this needs to be brought out as i say give people their flowers it needs the stories need to be told and i was happy to be the one that was fighting to get the word out and now now things are easier more people are talking about it by the time i was doing it it was tough (laughs) but i didn't yes i didn't give up I'm glad that you didn't. I'm glad that you didn't give up. What I appreciate about about your story, about concentrating on the African fashion guide, the combination of having a degree in ethical fashion and concentrating in sustainability and how that's an important part of just your ethical and overall approach. I really like how that transfers to your relationship with African creatives in general. And I, that gives me a chance to ask you now about the Wax and Wrap subscription box, because first of all, it's beautiful. That's the first thing Thanks. that you can tell if you look at the outside, when you see this box in your mailbox, that you are getting something good. And so that is really lovely. But what I wanted to also ask about was one of the things I noticed in the most recent something I saw on Instagram that you'd done was you took us through a factory, where people were manufacturing fabric on these gigantic rolls and it was incredible. And I was like, I am watching fabric being manufactured in Africa and then being put into a box to be sent all over the world. Can you talk about why it's important to have relationships with farmers and dyers and weavers and designers and all of these folks that you then essentially represent their work through the subscription service of wax and wraps can you talk a bit more about that yeah you know what the whole i i know we had like last year during the pandemic the whole thing about amplification of voices now that's something that that is what it is but that's something that personally i don't want to be doing that whole they said we said kind of thing i want to share it from their perspective and that's always been something I've wanted to do is to speak with the people have them tell me what is have them share with my community their experience because mm. I'm a British born black girl I don't know what it's like to live in in northern Ghana for example mm. or in Zimbabwe I can have loads of friends who do and I, I'm not right now I do but I think it's important that the voices the stories of people are told coming from being of Caribbean heritage there's one thing that we, we you know, people have been known to do is through oral stories yes and that's how heritage has been passed down that's how like the stories of the Anansi spider things like yes. these have been passed from the African continent to the Caribbeans and that's how they hear about you know like from my heritage the, the maroon tribe um, which is my, my some of my family have originated from them, and you hear these stories of Queen Nanny of the Maroons and uh, Baba Kojo and, and you know you hear about these stories and it's, it's oral histories. It's the importance of documentation of our histories, putting these things down. We don't do it enough, and that's why we get others telling our stories. And so mm. for me, when I was blogging, yes, it was blogging because I love research and I was really into the prints. I loved it. Oh, wow, it's exciting. 
but it's important that there's something on the internet that is going to be there for as long as I have the websites up or my book is going to be there till the end of time yes. telling these stories and for me doing even yeah going to the wax print houses going and tell the stories that yes as we know the wax print heritage with the Dutch firm you know Velisco and and traveling back to the Indonesian heritage. No, but what has been done in Africa, what aspect of that has been done in African continent? Is it all a Dutch um, heritage? Is it something that is done also in African continent? Many people don't know. They will easily buy the fabrics and don't realize that the ones they're buying very likely made in China, made in India, made in you know other parts of Europe, Italian firms and so forth. But when we're talking about African prints. Yes. So if we can, like, I source our fabrics from these wax print houses. So we've got sellers that I work with and we get it going. Even the wax print houses, or even more importantly, for me personally, because I still question if the print is really African or it's still like a question that we get on about yes, all the time. Yes, it is such a debatable, it's, it's such a it's good question. So debatable. If I say, okay, you know what? In my boxes, I'm bringing batiks, adiru, cayenne dye. Hand woven quote. I know I got that 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 fatigue from Mr. Kone in Cote d'Ivoire. I know I got um that print from Edwina in Sierra Leone. Yes. I know I got that print from Madu in in Nigeria. Hand yes. yes. That's where it came from. I can tell you that we're coming from there and then it's going to the rest of the world and they're getting educated on textiles done in Nigeria handmade that tradition can keep going that tradition can be kept alive and um, the stories are going to be continuing and people from around the world because my customers are from all over yes and they're wearing they make it they're making products using these textiles and wearing it for me now the story goes on the story goes on exactly. i abs and i abs i love that the story goes on and you are helping to propel that story and to more importantly as you say preserve that story that's right and i i so appreciate your acknowledgement of some of the controversies around wax prints and we had the the director of the wax print film she was on the program earlier in the year she's she's so great i really i really like her and she was saying like she thinks wax print is hybrid cloth and but she doesn't particularly wear it and she would rather concentrate on the fabrics that she knows is going to in her words contribute to the intergenerational wealth of African children and so when I hear you say that okay I got this from Edwina or I got this from Madu I got this from the person in Cote d'Ivoire I got this from the person in northern Ghana I got this from the like that is that is the type of connections that you have created to have sustainable relationships so that people are going to be able to continue to produce this work at home in their home communities, their home countries and support their families and the entire community through the industry. And And have fun with it. The hashtag is have fun with prints and give a print a home. (laughs) Give a print. And I think it's important. Again, we go back to the original discussion about, my creativity and having the autonomy was really important and liberation and I want people to have fun for me it's something that you have fun with you bring back your creativity the things that you're in control 
of how what you do with that cloth you can make anything yes indeed with that and that's the fun of it you can make a bed sheet you can make a pair of trousers you can make something as a gift for somebody there's so much possibility of what you can do with that cloth making something out of nothing that's powerful that is so powerful yeah that's even you're getting you're getting something from it and you're giving back something and um that's the importance of having the waxing wraps in the boxes that are created and yeah it's like you're giving someone the gift of possibility yeah i love that i love that it's it's I am so grateful that we have had a chance to have this conversation today, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for being here with me today. And you all, you can find Jacqueline absolutely everywhere. There are so many links in the episode notes that she actually forgot about one of the things that she does um, and forgot to tell me because she has so much, so many wonderful irons in the fire, as it were. Well, tell folks, how can we find you on the socials? Where would you like us to best look for you? Okay, so if you are a, a home sewer, a lover of prints, and you like to create things yourself, head over to Wax and Wraps. That's Wax and Wraps over on Instagram or waxandwraps.com, where you can become a subscriber or get a one off box. But you will totally love the prints. We do a different country every single month, so make sure to do head over there. And if you are somebody who are starting a fashion business and you want to do an African fashion business, where you're going to create product to sell to the rest of the world in quantities, and you want to get introduced to manufacturers and suppliers, we work with suppliers all over the continent. So go to Africa Fashion Guide on Instagram and send me a DM, reach out, slide in my DMs and say hello. I reply to everyone. So um, you definitely can connect with us in those two places. That is wonderful. You all, we have been talking with Jacqueline Shaw of Wax and Wraps and the African Fashion Guide. And thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Lisa. You've been listening to the Stitch Please podcast the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. We appreciate you supporting us by listening to the podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us with questions, you can contact us at blackwomenstitch at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do that by supporting us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, And you can find Black Women Stitch there in the Patreon directory. And for as little as $2 a month, you can help support the project with things like editing, transcripts, and other things to strengthen the podcast. And finally, if financial support is not something you can do right now, you can really help the podcast by rating it and reviewing it anywhere you listen to podcasts that allows you to review them. So I know that not all podcasts Um, directories or services allow for reviews but for those who do for those that have a star rating or just ask for a few comments if you could share those comments and say nice things about us at the Stitch Please podcast that is incredibly helpful thank you so much come back next week and we'll help you get your stitch together